Hornets extend the qualifying offer to three different players. We'll discuss that and give you a preview on Amari Bailey, the second round pick for the Charlotte Hornets. All today on Locked On Hornets. We're Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. In a minute, cause we live. We live. <laughs> It's Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team every day. Thanks for making us your first listen. We are free. We are available anywhere you get your podcast, and that includes YouTube. That's Doug Branson. You can check his Substack out at everyhornetsboxcore.com, and you can listen to me on WFNZ every weekday from 12 to 3 p.m. Doug, the Hornets extended qualifying offers to three different players, not only Miles Bridges, not only P.J. Washington, but also Teo Maladone. Teo! The hardest one. Keep going. You're going to finish it. Gotta let go. I was waiting for it. Teo Maladon stanging, not clanging. We both went with that yesterday. It was dicey. We're like, all right, I think they might bring him back. And this doesn't mean that they're 100% going to, but it's a two-way contract that they extended the qualifying offer to. Dirt cheap ball handler that is not the same combo guard that they have in Nick Smith Jr. and a James Booknight. So, we're leading off with Teo Maladone. I'm only kidding. We're not going to lead off with Teo. We'll lead off with the big ones. Miles Bridges and P.J. Washington here, Doug. It seems like this was as expected. We all, I mean, the only reason that you might not have a qualifying offer extended to Miles Bridges is because you did not want to deal with the off-the-court stuff at all. But that was always like a 0.1% chance of happening. Now they have the rights to first refusal. Miles can negotiate with other teams and we'll see exactly what this contract value is going to come in on. And that's the most fascinating thing to watch this offseason. Yeah, this is the first part of a process. Just because you extend the qualifying offer does not mean that that player will return next season. We'll have to see um, how all of this plays out. And as you said, even with the Teo stuff, I don't think that any of this was really unexpected because Mitch Kupchak as the general manager has telegraphed this process for multiple seasons now, this is the plan. When you have uh, free agents on your team that performed well in the previous season, you're going to work uh, to retain them, especially if you can do so through restricted free agency because then you do maintain control of the process. So this is expected, and and I think just overall, it's a, it's – I just wish that this organization would occasionally surprise me. You know, just like shake it up a little bit in the boardroom, right? Mm -hmm. You know, tease me a little bit. You know, I mean, this every offseason we go through uh, now with Mitch Kupchak and company, everything essentially plays itself by the book. And I don't think they're going to be very active in free agency. So I'm just I'm asking, you know, maybe a future version of this organization to just, you know, spice it up a little bit. Maybe a little role play. Maybe a little role player. I don't Ooh. know. You know, just just make it spicy. <laughs> How spicy do you want it? A little role play with Mitch Kupchak. I feel like I'm giving you the same facial expression that Mitch Kupchak and Steve Clifford were in the white background and the bump that will sometimes play on this. That's I'm just the kind saying, of like, renounce some rights every once in a while and then get involved <laughs> for some of these folks that everybody's going to be getting involved in in free agency. I just want a little I just want a little surprise. I just want this organization to make love to me in a public place. That's all. Okay. That's all I want. I think that's that is a reasonable I think that's a reasonable request from you. I think that is 100% reasonable. So Doug with all three of these guys that had the qualifying offer extended to them, 
Uh, PJ Washington also, right? It's Miles Bridges just because I don't know what kind of value he's going to get it on the court. He's going to be close to 30 million. That's what at least it was before he went without playing for a year. It was close to 30 and the Hornets were going to give that to him with PJ. That's also a little dicey. You think it's going to be between the 15 and the $20 million a year range. I just wonder if they get to that 20 spot where PJ Washington was reportedly asking for, if somebody else comes in, right? If there's an offer sheet from somebody else and the Hornets have to match that, if they want to keep him, that's the point where it seems like the reporting is, yeah, we're not so sure if the Hornets would 100% match that. I I think 20, Doug, is kind of the magic number here for some real drama to shape up. What do you think? Well, I think there are two uh, competing forces uh, that are at work here and will make all of this very interesting. The first is that you have a a CBA that was just signed that is going to make it much more difficult for some of the folks that are already in the tax or are approaching the tax to add additional talent through free agency or through trades. It's going to make that very difficult, which should, in theory, suppress some of the monetary value of some of these contracts that will be handed out through free agency because you'll have less players on the market. But I think the other competing force is that you have multiple teams that actually do possess cap space. And and this is generally always the case. But I think in this particular season, you have a couple of teams in Detroit and Houston uh, that are looking to accelerate their rebuild. They've spent a couple of years now you know, uh, mired in young talent and and tanking. And it looks like both of those franchises are looking to put the pedal to the metal and acquire some talent. And and I don't yeah. know if either of those are really looking at Miles or PJ, but I see Miles and PJ, and I don't know if you agree with me on this, if you're kind of in my line of thinking here, but I see the danger for the Hornets is not in a team looking at Miles and PJ as first options in free agency, that they've been like just tracking PJ's career and saying, all right, we're going to go hard after this guy and make the Hornets make a decision here. I think that Miles and PJ could be a backup option. If they miss on their first opportunity, they'll then look and say, well, Miles is still there. You know, maybe we can throw an offer to him and see if we can make, make an offer that the Hornets actually have to refuse here. I think that would be the danger. Yeah, I'm, I think so. I think, well, a team, you mentioned Houston, Um, with Houston, it looks like they're going to keep their younger guys and Fred Van Vliet and Brooke Lopez have been big veteran, smart guys that you want just to teach all of the young talent that you have on that roster with the cap space they have currently too. So I think those are the two guys that I've heard mostly go to Houston, more of a point guard to help out with Jalen green in the backcourt. And then Brooke Lopez, you know, a defensive minded center that can shoot where Alperen Shingun, not defensive minded. Um, I understand that's just the one team. Yeah, I'm trying to think if there's anybody else. Miami is the one just because Jake pointed him out and they have been rumored to try to trade for PJ before San Antonio. Remember, we had the Jakob Pertle, PJ Washington trade debate that seemed to have a, a big um, that seemed to have a lot of attention surrounding it. Maybe a couple of years ago, I was trying to think of when that conversation was happening. So we'll see. Yeah, but I, I'm with you. I think there are going to be other free agents out there unrestricted guys that these teams are going to go first and foremost towards. And then we'll see what happens with miles and PJ. Well, see Miami, I think is the perfect sort of example of what I was talking about there, because I think, you know, they'll make a hard push for Dame. And if that all works out and they want to build a team around that, that is actually ready not to, 
you know, go for this improbable eight seed Eastern Conference run, but actually make a legitimate Eastern Conference run that could end in a championship. They've got to add some pieces around that. And if they miss on like, you know, bringing in a Draymond Green and creating that sort of big three, then then I think potentially you could have them come in and try to play spoiler. But the Hornets control this entire process. If they want to spend a lot of money, if if Michael Jordan wants to spend all of Gabe Plotkins and Rick Schnalls and right. you know and Jay Cole's and Eric Church's <laughs> money, then if he wants to do that, he has control of the process. That's what makes all of this, you know, super weird. Uh, and it's they seem to weird. everything we've heard is that they want to do that. And so if they don't, you know, if somebody does come in and make Miles an offer, if somebody does come in and make PJ an offer. Uh, you're going to know that it's financially motivated if they refuse to to retain those players because they've really been vocal about wanting to bring back all of that talent. Yeah, and uh, let's talk about the complicated nature of ownership changing hands and how that might affect the draft and free agency. It's coming up next on the Lockdown Hornets podcast. Don't go to sleep on the Hornets just yet. Bobby Marks has comments on that. I told My you yesterday. Baby boy. Yeah, your baby boy, Bobby Marks. He was a part of the organization with the Nets when Mikhail Prokhorov took over in 2009. So, yes, Bobby is fantastic at this stuff anyway, but also has the inside access to tell you all about it when ownership uh, it changed when he was with an NBA organization. This episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. It's a fantasy sports website or app where you can pick two to six players, and if they score more or less than their prize picks projection, you can win up to 25 times your money on any entry. There's no competing against other people. It's just you versus the projections available. And they offer projections on really any sport you watch. That includes the NBA, the NFL, the MLB, NHL, PGA, college football, men's college basketball, women's college basketball, WNBA, soccer. I'm just going to read all of them today. Sometimes I just let you go find out, but I'm going to tell you this time. Esports, NASCAR, tennis, MMA, boxing, disc golf. Oh, no, I'm not done. Euro basketball, cricket. Finally, we get to the et cetera part. There's plenty more. Just go check it out for yourself there. You can download the PrizePix app or go to prizepix.com. Sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code locked on. If you deposit 100, they give you 100. If you deposit 50, they give you 50. You get the idea. Don't forget to enter promo code locked on at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. More locked on Hornets coming up next. This is Locked on Hornets. To start this off, we all know about LeBron and how he built a school and it got a lot of fanfare. By the time 2019 closes, Bismack Biombo is planning to have six. Take that, LeBron. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. So, Walker, I know that uh, both you and I were hoping that they extended a qualifying offer to Teo, but are you surprised that they actually did? Should fans be surprised that they actually did? Because we didn't see – it's not like we saw a ton of Teo Maladone, you know, last season, especially towards the back half when he got buried in the G League because you couldn't play him a certain amount of games or you had to pay him a lot more money. So – Should fans be surprised that they actually did extend the qualifying offer to Teo? Well, I mean, honestly, when we were doing staying in or clanging yesterday, it was tough because I thought maybe the Hornets would do it. I do like Teo as somebody that can come in and be your last line of defense as far as an initiator goes. But 
really the staying in comment was because I thought the Hornets might do it because it's mm. just so crazy cheap. And who else are you going to find that provides nice enough depth that also understands the system a little more that's going to come on that cheap of a contract? That's the reason. So am I surprised? No, because that's that's the line of thinking I was going with yesterday. It's not that I desperately want him back. Sure, I like it. I, I wouldn't be devastated if they decided to move on and figure out something else. But I do like the idea. And plus, it's just it's simple, right? Extend the qualifying offer. We'll see what happens with Teo Maladone, and you can keep him. But um, you're right, Doug. At the beginning of last season, they needed some help because Lamella was out for quite a while at the beginning. And so he played. And then... Lamelo comes back mm-hmm. some other injuries happen whatever but he, mm-hmm. he still he doesn't play on January 2nd so really the turn of the year that's his first inactive game when he was a part of the rotation and then he only appears once against Phoenix in January and then you don't see him again until March 24th mm-hmm. I mean you really did preserve his two-way contract rights with him not At playing all too costs. Many games. And uh, and uh, and we got and we still got some good moments. We still got some good moments from Teo. Well, that's what I'm saying. I think it would be less surprising if Teo had played spots throughout the season, as as opposed to what happened, which is the Hornets had to rely on him so much in the early part of the season that they then had to go to Terry Rozier at as as point guard, and and Teo gets buried in in the G League. But Teo, I thought in that period that he did play, played really well. Like, I mean, just in terms of running the offense, he surprised me with just his decision-making, the maturity that he showed on the court and being able to run Steve Clifford's offense Mm -hmm. and how quickly he picked up on things. I mean, this is a – he's a smart basketball player and I think a good asset to have around in a universe where the Hornets weren't also trying to bring back Miles Bridges and P.J. Washington – I could definitely see letting Teo explore the market and then maybe going after some other backup point guard options uh, in free agency, but that's not the case. And so you're able, if you're able to bring back Teo on a relatively cheap contract, that's that's only going to help you acquire all this other talent and obviously, you know, miss the luxury tax window, which we know this team will be focused on doing. And and also there aren't a lot of really great affordable point guard options out on the market this year. Mm-hmm. So that's another factor to me is you've got a guy that already knows the system, you know, he can run it. And, and also it's sort of like found money. Like Teo was uh, dispensed by OKC after putting up some pretty horrendous stats. Hornets took a chance on him and he played a lot better last season, hit some threes, uh, was able to distribute, made some good decisions. So like, I, I, I love this move and I, I think Hornets fans will be surprised by it. But I think it's a good move overall. Well, yeah, I mean, I saw it on my timeline. People are like, oh, okay, this is a surprise. But again, and again, not to spend too much time on Teo, but it I makes don't think so we much- can spend enough. To, you you yeah. know, you're throwing out these little insults I'm and that's saying- fine. But, you know, I don't <laughs> think we can spend enough time on Teo. That's kind yeah. of a joke, but it's also not when you take into account last season <laughs> and, and no, all of joke. the injuries. You stop it. You stop the Hornets it. need the backup to the backup to the backup. They need Teo yeah. is the break glass in case of emergency. And you don't want to break glass in case of emergency and pull out a rubber chicken. You want to pull out an axe that you can actually use to Whoa. get out of the burning building. And that's what Teo Maladon is. Um, I was going fire. He's not extinct- a rubber chicken. He's not I- a rubber chicken. Go on. 
I was going fire extinguisher. I wasn't necessarily going axe. I don't know why you went oh, so yeah, aggressive. Oh, yeah, I guess that's what they put in there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, goodness gracious, well, but man. Main, Is this but the before, Shining podcast? What's going yeah, on? Yeah, but before fire extinguishers, I think they had axes in there. Okay. You just had to get out of the building. You know. All right. Well, what I was going to say was that he's going into his fourth year. These things are, I don't know, any new CBA stipulations. That was just released yesterday to the entire people that have to abide by the CPA, CBA. Anyways, it's hilarious. I get emotional it. when I talk about Teo Maladon. I, apo- I, I apologize, okay? I apologize for getting emotional and yelling rubber right. chicken multiple times. I'm sorry. All right, let's go to Bobby Mark Sound, shall we? Let's talk a little bit more about the process this offseason, navigating the NBA draft, navigating NBA free agency, and how to do that. When you have to take the opinions, the important opinions from so many different people like Michael Jordan, Mitch Kupchak, but also Gay Plotkin and Rick Schnall. I asked Bobby Marks this on Friday, I believe. Maybe it was Monday. I forget what day it was. It's already going crazy. But I asked Bobby Marks this recently on Wesson Walker about how you have to roll with some of this stuff navigating through the offseason. Here he is. I think the draft is a lot easier than free agency because you're trusting your talent evaluators, whether it be Mitch or Michael um, or Cliff. I think free agency is a a different animal because there's a cost associated with it. The draft is everything is slotted 1 to 30. There's no negotiating um, from a financial. You're basically looking at your scouting reports and you're you're judging it from from a talent perspective and how that player fits. What do you think of that comment? I thought the draft he'd give a little more. Oh yeah, this is kind of tough. I, I have a feeling you were laughing about Michael being a talent evaluator. Is that what you were laughing at? Uh, no, I was laughing at the idea that they would listen to Clifford on the draft. They never listen to Clifford. Mm. They, in fact, they they mostly do the opposite of what Clifford wants. There was so. an infamous time where they indeed did the exact opposite of listen to Clifford. So yeah, there's that one moment. What did you think of uh, Bobby's comment? I mean, I think he's dead on. You know, I think this the the draft process is going to be a lot easier than this free agency process, or at least a lot less complicated. Because now in free agency, you're spending, you know, you're down with OPM, you're spending other people's money, and so and the other thing you have to take into account too is that Gabe Plotkin, one at one half of the, the you know the leadership duo that's going to be taking over for Michael Jordan is already an alternate governor. He's already a minority investor in the team. And one that I get the sense is a little bit more plugged in than maybe some of the other. There's another name, Daniel Sunheim, I think was the other guy that came along with Plotkin. And he's part of, he's part of sort of the sub line of the group that is now going to take over. But it, it seems like Plotkin was a little bit more plugged in to what was going on and and does have an interest. It's not just like one of these guys that's like a financial guy and sees the opportunity to buy a team and the financial windfall that you can have many years down the line as Michael Jordan is experiencing now. It seems like he legitimately likes sports and wants to be involved in you know what's going on here. So I think that's what makes this situation unique, that Plotkin already has a voice. It's just that voice is going to become much louder and more definitive very soon. Well, and here's what I'm most excited about, because we'll get to what we want in ownership as this thing starts to really take place, because Michael is still the lead guy through free agency, and then it will go over to Gabe Plotkin and Rick Schnall. But Doug, I I think I've said this already, at least on the show. I don't know about the podcast, but I'm just so excited to not have any more discourse about who's making the pick between Michael Jordan and whoever the GM is. That is the conversation I am so glad to not have anymore because it's every off season. And I'm not saying it's not justified. We don't know. 
you just heard Bobby say, whether it's Mitch, whether it's Michael, you know, Mitch is not helping anything when he speaks to the media saying Michael has final say and he gives me final say. Is it like he's telling me to make the pick? You know, Mitch, I uh, really hope you take Brandon Miller here, buddy. Wink, wink. You're going to be fired if you don't. <laughs> I don't know if it's going to be one of those things. So what you think Michael Jordan has ever winked? You think he's you think he winks at big winker? Did you see? Did you see his outfit that's circulating on Twitter? That guy winks big time. There's no doubt. The one with the the like the camouflage shorts. Yeah, the camo the the jeans, the camouflage shorts, but not even so camouflage. They're like brightly colored. Oh, we can definitely see you (laughs) camouflage. Yeah, don't wear those in the woods. Uh, That (laughs) will attract you know. You're not hiding from anything. Miles away. But this is what I'm interested in having, too, though. The, the real convo is, all right, so now, Doug, you're, you're right about Plotkin being more plugged in, certainly with the Hornets. Schnall was with the Hawks. But do you have one lead guy out of that duo, or are they both leading the charge? And if that's the case, and you have differing opinions, it's not the hardest thing in the world to have two people come to the same conclusion it does make it harder than just one because then you can decide whatever you want to do and you're the dictator but now you're not so much if you're on equal playing ground with Plotkin and Schnall and so are they just going to be like all right let's let the GM the head of basketball operations do their thing and we will just sign whatever the the paycheck needs to be and we'll give you some guidelines as to whether we want to be in the luxury tax or going to be involved of course but I am interested in if if Michael wanted something then there are reports about him getting it. If Plotkin and Schnall, like, do they have differing opinions? That That's what I'm interested in, the dynamic between two lead guys. Uh, for sure, because I think these decisions that they have to make, and, and I don't expect them to get, uh, you know, I mean, they've already offered the qualifying offers to Miles and PJ. To me, that indicates that they are, the plan is to re-sign the free agents that you have and not really get wild in free agency. So I don't even expect that to happen. You know, po- possibly with the trades of Gordon Hayward and Terry Rozier, you could open up some things or, or and possibly bring back some bad money. Mm-hmm. You know, so maybe there's some consultation there. But but I would think that Plotkin and Schnall would be in line with missing the luxury tax and bringing back players and Miles and PJ that do represent certain risks. Uh, Miles in terms of off the court stuff, and and PJ, I guess the risk would be just overpaying for a talent that may have maxed out his potential is not going to get better through the length of the contract, either stay the same or possibly get worse at, you know, Teo zero risk. Um, so, you know, the, I, I think, but, the, but those are like calculated risk. You know, I think that whatever those contracts land at ultimately are going to be movable contracts. It's not good. You're not talking about max level contracts and the, and the yeah. decision is the easiest decision in the world. You just back up the Brinks truck and give them all the money. So, yeah, I I don't I don't know that this is going to be incredibly a a difficult thing for the the entire organization. All all I would say is that for the new owners, Gabe Plotkin, Rick Schnall, I I would challenge your assumption that we're not going to have those conversations anymore about who makes the pick, because now you got two. You got two people tango. No, not with Michael. Is it going to be a Plotkin pick or a Schnall selection? You know, I think we will we will still have the We'll find a way to have those discussions. All I'm saying, okay, Plotkin and Schnall, if you're listening, just every once in a while, maybe some pink fuzzy handcuffs, okay? Every once in a while, just, you know, a little role play. That's all I'm asking for. Just spice it up. 
I was just talking about Michael and the GM. Um, but yes, I, I think you're right. We are still going to have that convo. Maybe not the pink fuzzy handcuffs combo. Maybe we leave that <laughs> just behind closed doors. All right. Okay. One more segment to go. Coming up next on the Lockdown Hornets podcast. Don't go to sleep on the Hornets just yet. Doug had a chance to talk with the Locked On UCLA host, Zach. What's his last name? It's, it's a doozy. Zachary Alexander Yoxheimer, host of the Locked On UCLA podcast. I'll give you a little preview, a little taste. Coming up, the word, uh, two words, actually. I don't know if it's one word or two words. Maybe, maybe two words with a dash. This was uttered, bone zone. Okay, that's coming up next with Locked On UCLA host, Zach on Amari Bailey. Final segment still to come. We're calling on the experts here from the Locked On Podcast Network to bring break down uh, some of these draft selections that the Hornets made. We're going to do number 41, Amari Bailey out of UCLA, and I've called in the expert from Locked On UCLA, Zachary anderson Yoxheimer. Zachary, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Doug. We got an exciting player to talk about, Amari Bailey. I've watched I've watched a lot of his film, and I'm I'm excited about him being a, a member of the Hornets. Uh, combo guard, uh, t- you know, good good size, uh, seemingly good athleticism, uh, and seemingly a, a good two-way player. Uh, what are some of the positives that you noted during his time at UCLA? The brief time, but during his time there. Well, he was an impactful player when he wasn't on the floor. The Bruins weren't at their full strength. And when we saw in March when the Bruins were very shorthanded, Amari Bailey rose to the challenge with players injured and stepped up when the lights were shining the brightest in March. So I think that's the biggest exciting thing for Hornets fans, that when Amari Bailey had his chance to truly shine, he had big plays, big dunks, big three-point shots. While they might be forgotten in losses, he truly showed that he has the intangibles to be a good NBA player down the line and has the athleticism, the defense, and is a true team player. Now, I saw a lot of projections for him uh, that were in some of them were in the first round. I mean, I saw as high as 20 at one point, but ultimately he falls all the way to 41. Did that surprise you that Amari Bailey went all the way down into the second round? I don't think it was very surprising at all, considering if you look to the body of work from his freshman year and his only year at UCLA, nothing truly stood the test of time. And while he did seem like he had a good combine showcasing some facilitating skills, it it didn't really jump out at scouts, right? Especially with what the Hornets already brought in in the previous picks that they had. I, I don't think Amari Bailey stood out to NBA scouts that he would jump up 20 spots from where he was selected, despite being what can be deemed as a high-value second-round pick. Now he leaves his freshman year. Uh, you, uh, I think, you might be a little biased. You probably wanted to keep Amari Bailey around another year, but uh, you know, do you think he left a little too early? Absolutely. I was on another Locked On podcast, Locked On College Basketball. They asked me the same question in December: What, what are we thought? What are his thoughts about Amari Bailey? And is he ready? While at the time in December, he was dealing with that foot injury, right? He missed those seven games with what is quote-unquote known as foot discomfort. I don't think he was ready. Of course, he is a very good player. I think he'll do fine in the NBA and have a nice NBA career. But he could have been a lottery pick next year. Everything, what people are saying is he's a value pick. And for someone as hyped as he was coming into UCLA, of course, I'm biased. I would love to have him back. But... 
would you rather be a value pick or a lottery pick? I think you, you, you pick your poison. Of course, you can see injuries. Things don't go as well. You could argue that some of the Hornets picks, right? Someone had a terrible season and they fell in value. So that could have happened to Bailey as it did his freshman year. I still think another year would have benefited him, although he was clearly set he's heading to the NBA. There's so much pressure now, right? Because these guys are getting drafted at 18 or 19 and suddenly you're 20, 21 and you're the old guy in the draft and you're getting punished for it. I mean, you know, you say he could have risen to the lottery and and I don't think you're wrong there. And I think that's probably why the Hornets were so excited to scoop him up at 41 because they're, they're getting an opportunity there to get in on a guy uh, that may have risen in next year's draft. But seemingly, if you stay a second year in college, this is crazy, but it like caps you, I think, to that late lottery portion and doesn't give you that opportunity to really rise all the way to the top. Um, now, correct me if I'm wrong, but you mentioned the injury uh, that kept him out a few games, but there was an injury on UCLA's squad that opened up an opportunity for Amari, Amari Bailey, and it seemed to be that's that's when he started to shine and catch a little bit of attention that he would then go on to the combine and sort of double down on uh, that I think got him into draft contention ultimately at 41. But talk to us a little bit about that injury opportunity and how you know he sort of responded to that and, and, and his play and what that play meant to UCLA last season. In the regular season finale, UCLA was playing their one of their bitter rivals, Arizona. They were trying to get a one seed in the NCAA tournament at the time. And Jalen Clark, I think we all know the name. He was the best defensive player in the country. And he hurt his Achilles in that game. So that left six games for Amari Bailey to start. He had been teetering on the edge of starting and also coming off the bench. Those last six games, he started, played well over 32, 33 minutes. Averaged 17 points per game, especially having a big dunk in the Pac-12 tournament on what is one of the worst calls in basketball history. If you remember that dunk against Arizona, if you haven't seen that highlight, I suggest you go to YouTube and watch it and see that Amari Bailey dunk that was called an offensive foul. It was not. Two, that Gonzaga three. A big three in March. While it's forgotten because of Julian Strother's three, he had a big shot, showcased the athleticism, and when he got his six-game moment, right, to stand up, March Madness, the biggest thing in almost all of sports, arguably, he came to play, and while you can see he shot 50% from the floor, 39% from three, I can throw numbers at you all day, there were moments to be excited about Amari Bailey, and that's why he could arguably be one of the better picks the Hornets got, especially so late in the draft. It might take some time, but I, I don't doubt you. You're getting me excited, Zachary, right now. I'm tingling at the prospects that you're throwing at me and these dunks and these threes and this offense. But I think what also gets me excited is, is his potential defensively, which is something the Charlotte Hornets backcourt uh, desperately needs, and I think depth-wise, but also from the starting positions as well, Amari a long way from, you know, a couple injuries away from that ever being a reality. Uh, but talk to me about his defensive upside as well, because I saw the wingspan not very long relative to his height, uh, but it's, it seems like, and, and I don't know if you if you ever heard this or picked this up a little bit, but he gives me a little bit of like Avery Bradley vibes. Is that is that kind of close to what you what you saw out of him defensively in that in that season at UCLA? Yeah, absolutely. I've read I've even read things that said he's a bigger, arguably better Avery Bradley. And there you go. He's younger and can definitely play defense. All the things where he can play both sides to be a height high level player at UCLA. The coach Mick Cronin emphasizes defense. They have a bone. 
which is given to the defensive player, a hustle bone, a dog bone. If you get oh, wait, the hold most, on, hold on. Yes. Is it an actual? Is it an yeah, actual it's a bone? bone? It's, it's, a, it's called the deflection bone, and whoever got the most deflections in a game, whether it be getting your hands in the passing lane, steals, you they get this bone. You can look it up. I think it's in the LA Times, and just look is up it this a, what is it? But is it like it, what, from what species? What kind of bone? <laughs> a this? dog bone. A dog bone. Oh, okay. Think. Yeah, it's okay. a dog bone. So it's just like one of those, you know, those chew bones. But it oh was yeah, kind yeah, of like a raw, like a bone, not a not a bone from a dog, no, but a bone no, for no. a dog. Because yeah, that dog would be bone, weird yeah. if it was the bone <laughs> from an <laughs> yes. actual dog. Um, from like a from like a mascot from the 30s or something that would be disturbing. Uh, but no, this is a bone for a dog. Okay, I'm glad we cleared that up. Yeah, we cleared it all up. But the biggest thing that the the hustle bone, the hustle bone, the deflection bone was representative of was the heart and hustle of the team. And whoever got it would be a deflection. And while I'm not entirely sure how many times Amari Bailey won that bone per game, that's the type of team and program he's coming from. And if you don't play that way, you don't play, even if you're really good. So that's the program and mindset he's coming from, even though it's a year. And he had 34 steals, an underrated defender, considering he replaced in the tournament the best defender in the country. And the Bruins still were competitive in big-time games. That's the role he was stepping into. And he's not the best defender in the country, but he can definitely play both ways, and especially at the next level. Um, so I don't know how much 2-3 UCLA ran defensively, if any, but if they did and you excel in the 2-3 UCLA, do you enter the bone zone? That would be very funny, but no, I don't think that would, I don't think that's how they're. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. UCLA. I'm sorry. I apologize, it's, Zachary. It's you come in good. here, you're the expert on the team, and, and I throw out bone zone because you, you threw bone at me. And I got like super. I was like a dog with a bone on that. Um, you excited me. Uh, you got my creative juices flowing. Uh, so I apologize. Uh, but you have been excellent on the show, giving us a breakdown of Amari Bailey uh, that I think is a, a worthy breakdown for the talent that the Hornets have gotten at the number 41 position. If you want more on the UCLA Bruins, you can uh, definitely check out Zachary's work on Locked On UCLA. Zachary, thank you, my friend. Thanks for having me. All right, Doug. So you're telling me today you're talking about Plotkin and Schnall mixing it up with mm -hmm. pink fuzzy handcuffs. Mm -hmm. When we had Sam Vecini on, mm -hmm. you asked about Scoot Henderson's booty. And now here mm -hmm. you're discussing a bone zone via Amari Bailey. Is that right? Is that what I've heard? Is, this there, is there a question? I don't know. Yeah, that's right. That's uh, yeah, that's yeah, that's what that's you get. That's what you get with locked on Hornets. OK, I, the reviews are in. I don't know if you've seen these reviews on Reddit, but the reviews are in. They say we're on every day <laughs> on the Charlotte Hornets Reddit. They we like the show. They said it's good, not great, which is like, that's great. That's what we're aiming for. You know, we're on every day. Uh, it's it's <laughs> quantity over quality. Okay. You're, you, this is you look. You are never going to come to the table, you know. Please, sir, may I have another? And 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 we're never going to say no. We're out. We're just going to say, yeah, here, take some of this schlop. And you and with that schlop, you have to take a little bone zone, a little fuzzy handcuffs. That's what we're doing here. This is what we're cooking up. I, I like that comment. I like that comment a lot. Yeah, they're they're good. They're here every day. Like you can't escape <laughs> us, man. You can try. That's but, it. That's a marriage. That's yeah. we're married to the sickos. We are oh, yeah, sickos, we are. but we're also married to the sickos. And in a marriage, that's what it's all about. It's about showing up. It's not about, you know, but it's also about occasionally spicing it up.
It is. Now, uh, real quickly, it's my understanding Zach kind of spiced you up a little bit. You like Amari Bailey a little more after talking with him? Oh, yeah. I I mean, I think this guy is, you know, I think he's a year away and injuries always provide an opportunity for young guys to get some some looks. You know, I think Amari is going to spend some time in Greensboro in the short term. Uh, but I love his two-way prospects. I love him being sort of a souped-up Avery Bradley. I mean, you know, if he brings that – what I'm looking for is attitude because I think he's got the tools necessary to be like a good – maybe not a three and D player, but just like a crafty scorer and D player. Maybe the three comes along, and that could open up an opportunity for him. But, yeah, I love him. I talked to Rafael Barlow, too, of the Locked on NBA Big Board podcast. That interview is going to come up tomorrow he also talked about Amari Bailey and had some good things to say about him, some good insight there. So, yeah, I'm excited about Amari Bailey. I'm getting more and more, you know, sort of pumped up about the prospects of this draft, not necessarily for next year. That's why I was a little disappointed, Walker, because I felt like I wanted to see more players that would contribute literally this coming season. I don't think there's that, but I think the Hornets did a good job of snagging some guys that could pop in a year or two. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, a lot of people love what they did after the second overall pick and some even with the second overall pick. I, I know for sure the entirety of the NBA draft, it looks to be a very good one for the Charlotte Hornets. That'll do it for this Thursday episode. We appreciate you making us your first listen. Make your second listen game to game NBA. Every moment, every top performance, every result. Locked on game to game covers every game from across the league with local analysis that only locked on can deliver. Follow game to game on locked on NBA available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast. Have a great rest of your day and bring your handcuffs tomorrow. <laughs> 